verses 1 through 20. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Please be seated. Let's pray one more time and ask God's help as we look at his word together. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being in your house today to hear your word. Oh, it's been so good already to be able to sing your praises to acknowledge where our hope and strength comes from, to confess together and and individually and to hear that there is forgiveness in, in you through your son Jesus. And Lord, now as we look at your word, we pray for your Holy Spirit's help. Help us to think, block out what may be um, not profitable for us. Help us to consider and and by your Holy Spirit do a work in us that we need. Lord, some of us need some comfort. Some of us need some encouragement. Some of us need encouragement and prodding. We all need to see Jesus. And so we we thank you for uh, your ability to see us where we're at and to speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
It's not been an easy time. It's like we look at the news and we say, I don't want to look at the news. I want to look at it. I don't want to look at it. I need to see what's going on. I don't want to see what's going on. I, I do and I don't, and it's hard. It's, at least it's been very, very difficult for me. For my birthday, a family member, my sister, sent me something called the Last Day's Survival Guide. A scriptural handbook to prepare you for these perilous times. And there were times, because I'm a graduate of, of uh, what we used to call Deformed Theological Cemetery, which is also known as Reformed Theological Seminary, uh, I, would have, I would have laughed a little harder. I would have said, well, that's just that branch of Christianity. You know what? I'm looking at those scriptures. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Something's not right. And you wonder, and we don't know, but it's, it's scary. It's not business as usual. Maybe it never should have been, but there's something happening. These are perilous times. I shared with some of you how a, a man from our presbytery who had served in Afghanistan as a soldier, he's Chinese-American, was there in a medical capacity. And a man came to visit him in Afghanistan, and he worked on him, but he looked at the man's feet. The man had walked barefoot through these villages, and, and the man's feet were in trouble. So he healed his feet, and all the while he said, I should give this man my shoes. But if I give him my only set of running shoes, how will I run and, and stay in shape while I'm here in Afghanistan? I should give him my shoes. I, I, I can't. It's my only pair that I have here. And that night he woke up in grief and pain, weeping, thinking about that man walking barefoot back through the villages on those, on those feet and those, those roads. And he went back to Afghanistan. And he's presented a couple times in Presbytery. Uh, God used that as an event in his life uh, to speak to him. And, and he went back and he's shown us pictures and, and they've taken care of There's so many widows in Afghanistan from all these years of wars and fighting, and they took care of the widows, they took care of the orphans, and Christians came along and helped them, and people converted to Christianity. And he showed us the pictures, the last Presbyterian, he said, now the, the, the current U.S. plan is to pull out in September. He said, we're going to try and get as many people out of there before then. He said, because these people you see here, they're essentially dead once, once, once you're gone. And then things happen so fast, and and all of the, the well-documented things, and, and, and there's people left behind, and he's scrambling. He sent a picture out to us elders, and he showed us the Christians who had helped us. Young people, vibrant people, love the Lord. He said they're dead. Pray. And there's groups that are trying to go in and, and rescue them from our good new friends, the Taliban, who the last time a uh, woman gets sent just one story of hundreds. Families are having a fight. A woman gets sent from one family to the other family. It's a very abusive situation, as you would expect. She leaves that family. So to make an example of her, they decide not to kill her. They just cut off her, her ears and her nose. That's what our friends did. And he's saying, we've got to get them out. And I'm watching these things, and I'm seeing these things, and praying and feeling as helpless as can be.
the new head of chaplains at Harvard. Well, they've had chaplains at Harvard that maybe not have known the Lord or loved the Lord. This is the first time they've ever had a, an avowed atheist who's written books on his atheism as the head of the chaplaincy at Harvard. And a lot of the, the, the quote-unquote Christian groups there say, well, he's such a good communicator, he just looks at it in a different way. Maybe not theological, but at least he's going to keep us communicating, and that's the Christian message, quote-unquote. Uh, what in the world? Go read Harvard's founding statement. You see people laughing in mockery at the deaths of their political opponents. They disagreed with you. It's not funny that they're dead. Here's a news article. The University of Pittsburgh uses taxpayer-funded aborted babies for medical research. Here's another one. Inflation, 30-year high. And you look at this and you go, man... <laughs> I gotta go find me another church. I go, where's the good news? I'm promising you the good news is coming, but you've got to understand and see uh, there's something happening and shaking. And I don't think it's just our country, um, it's global. What's up? <laughs> where's that last day's survival guide? <laughs> I need that. And do they have some freeze dried beans in there somewhere too while they're at it? I, what do you say? You read the obituaries and look at the pictures of the Marines who died. There's a young woman, her last name was Gee, G-E-E, 23 years old. Beautiful woman, vibrant smile. A month ago, picture of her, she posted on one of her social websites holding a little Afghan baby. says all caps, I love my job. And as the women and children would come through the checkpoints, the female Marines would be the ones... Uh, to help preserve dignity and, and everything, to, to check and make sure there were no bombs and things. And she just happened to be out there with another uh, lady, and, and she lost her life. I'm like, man, I, I'd trade my 58-year-old worthless life so that girl could have more life on earth, and what's going on? And how are we as Christians supposed to feel? How do we process these things? talking to my mom. I said, Mom, I, I feel guilty. I, I just enjoyed watching a ball game. That was my break. I know the Bible says to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, but how can we handle this? Where's our strength? Where's our outlet? And I want to just forget about it and go, oh, them, and somehow dehumanize or depersonalize the suffering of the world. And that way I can do my thing. And I know that's not right, but I also know it's not right uh, to, to, to let the world crush because God is our rock and our, and our Savior. What do we do? On the personal level, there's great sadness. And there's a temptation for us to say, where is God? Or to say with the psalmist, God, please wake up. Don't you see what's going on? Or are you really all that powerful? And yet we know in our heart of hearts as Christians that that's not true. What's the answer? How do we process that here as people who live in this part of Connecticut? We know God hears us when we cry out like that. We know that God doesn't owe us an explanation of 
how we think he's doing in the world. We know that. We know that God knows our frame. We know that God remembers that we are dust. We know his heart is one of love for us, even when we self-medicate on frivolous entertainment, for instance, to stop looking at our sin-sick society. And I'm glad for a passage like this that reminds us, and I want us to look at this passage and be reminded that God is the Lord. There is a higher power than these things that we feel are so oppressive and, and closing in on us and the people we love. This morning's text is just what the doctor ordered because it shows us these things. So there's four points from the text this morning, four things we want to look at. First, God is more powerful than mere religion, even if that religion has some degree of truth mixed in with it. That's from verses 1 through 7. The second point will be that God is more powerful than mere science, even though God does work in and through science. God transcends science. That's in verses 11 and 12. Third point, God is more powerful than any power in the spirit world. That's verses 13 through 17. And finally, God is more powerful than anything that had power over you before you became a Christian. And that's in verses 18 and 19. So first of all, we say, well, maybe we'll try religion to combat this. God's more powerful than mere religion. Religion is one thing. Relationship with God through Jesus Christ is another thing. And so Paul has moved on, and we're preaching and going through the book of Acts. We find in in, in chapter 19, Paul has moved into Ephesus now. He's left Corinth. And he's in Ephesus. The book of Ephesians is a letter that he wrote back to the church that was planted there during these days. So that's, think about Ephesians and some of the messages you've heard from Ephesians. Uh, the studies, I think the ladies did a study of that uh, book just recently. That's to these people. But he's in Ephesus now. And he finds these people. It says he found these disciples. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Now, all of Acts is about Pentecost uh, in the early days where the Holy Spirit came down and, and there were flaming tongues of fire on their heads. There were all these things going on. And, and um, then you see the Samaritans having their mini version of Pentecost. And then you see Gentiles, not just Jews, but Gentiles in the gospel for all races. And you see that happening with Peter and Cornelius. And you see that there's a Holy Spirit not just a Holy Spirit that is in the Bible in the Old Testament, but a real Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in his people. These disciples weren't Christians yet. He came to them, and they were called disciples. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we haven't even heard there's a Holy Spirit. Sometimes this passage is used by some branches of Christianity to say, well, you can be a disciple, and then there's a second blessing. Get that second blessing, the Holy Spirit enters you, and then you do all these things. Uh, that's not what this text is saying. This text is saying there are people that, uh, even well-intentioned religious people, that aren't truly Christians yet because the Holy Spirit hasn't entered into them. There are a lot of well-meaning people who aren't Christians at this point. 
These people were sincere. They weren't hypocrites. They weren't trying to use the gospel for money. But they just weren't saved yet. And Paul teaches them and teaches us about this baptism that they were baptized into. John the Baptist came baptizing people, right? He was out there in the wilderness. He ate his locusts and wild honey. He had his camel's hair. He told people to repent, repent, repent. And people came of all walks of life to get this baptism. Uh, These baptisms were not uncommon in those days. And it was a symbolic baptism. It was a baptism of people saying, I'm in trouble. I need something. I'm a sinner. And the outward washing uh, was symbolic of them wanting to wash away their sins. There was a spirit of repentance. But we know salvation is not just based on repentance. There's a twin sister, theologically, they talk about. Repentance, and the other side of that same coin is faith. Repentance and faith. Repentance for our sins. Faith in Jesus. Jesus came and got baptized by John. And you remember what John said to him? He said, why are you here? (laughs) Why are you here? Uh, You should be baptizing me, not you. But Jesus came as, as one who was, we say, fully God and fully man or perfectly God and perfectly man. He came as a representative of, of, the, of the human beings for whom he was going to die. And, and, and in a symbolic way, he got baptized, saying, I'm going to be here as the human, and humans are sinners, even though he was not a sinner. His baptism was a baptism of repentance, John's was. John was the voice of one crying in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord. When Jesus came, John pointed at him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. These people that Paul encountered in Ephesus were people who understood a need of repentance and they were, it wasn't just a symbolic thing they did. They were even saying, I'm, I'm a disciple. Disciple of what? Paul told them they got saved, and then they, then they prophesied. Then there were the marks of Christianity. So I'm saying, I would want to counter this world and this situation with some kind of religion. That's a natural instinct. On 9-11, churches across the country were full, and people said, something's not right, this is wrong. Is, does God have anything to say about this? And, and churches were packed. They documented all this church. But you know what? There was an attempt at religion and apparently not much Christianity that followed that. What we're saying here in point one is this, that there is, that God is more powerful than mere religion, even if that religion has some degree of truth mixed with it. I love, boy, I love our AA people that come and meet in our building. Man, I talk to them. I see the way that they treat people. They understand so many of them that I've I've dealt with in this group. They'll go the extra mile and love people who are hurting like they were. They acknowledge a higher power. The ones I really love are the ones who are Christians among them who say, I know who the higher power is. I know that it's Jesus Christ's salvation that I'm depending on.
Religion alone does not get it. There's a religion that leads to enslaving women. There's a religion that leads to strapping on a bomb and killing people in the name of your God. There's also a religion of self-reliance and self-centeredness and breaking your promises and abandoning your friends. And then there is God who transcends man-made religion, who forgives and restores, gives his people strength to live for others and die for others. There is God who loves. Standard part of our, of our Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Paul encountered religion and by the power of the Holy Spirit these 12 men then were saved. And then they knew about a Holy Spirit, didn't they? God is more powerful than mere religion, even if that religion happens to have some degree of truth mixed in with it. Next, we see that God is more powerful than mere science, even though God does work in and through science. But God transcends science. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. This is quite the the story. It says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Think about that. Do we accept that? I was in sixth grade, and I wasn't, I wasn't much of, a, of an athlete, but I liked to play. You know, I, I, liked, I liked being part of things. I was telling the guy who plays college baseball, telling him yesterday how I even took a swing at a pitch, and I connected with the ball <laughs> with my forearm and broke my arm. That's how bad of a baseball player I was. Um, but in sixth grade, we would all bring our gloves. This is in Iowa, Oskaloosa, Iowa. We'd bring our gloves, and, and we'd play softball. We'd mix the teams up just like in the movie The Sandlot. We'd choose, pick, 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 and then who bats first, and that was our recesses. And, but I had won a chess tournament at the YMCA, and I got a little medal like a general would wear. I guess I was trying to impress Carla Grunendike or something, because I was always trying to impress Carla Grunendike as a little kid. And I wore that medal. I didn't tell my parents because they wouldn't have let me do it. But I I smuggled that thing in and I put that thing on during school. I wore my medal that I won for the chess tournament. We went outside at recess and and we picked teams. And I'm middle of the pack. And um, we came up to bat. And I made sure that medal was on. And you know I hit a home run with that thing. And I got in and Rosaline Van Eggman, who was a better athlete than me but was batting after me, she said, let me try that. And she put that thing on, and she hit a home run against these guys. And Roger Voss, who, he, he, he got a single, and I think Carla Grunendike, we don't even know why she would play, but, but she would always want to play softball with us, and she was an easy out. She put that thing on. She got a single. Then Ed Veldheiser, all these, all these Dutch kids, these familiar Dutch names to you, David, uh, all these Dutch farmer kids, Christian Reformed uh, private school. But Ed Veldheiser, who was always going to hit a home run, He walked over to first base, and Carla took my little badge off and gave it to Ed. Ed hit a home run. We batted for the whole hour, and we were taunting them. This was the magic badge, and they were angry. It's not magic, but psychology took over. (laughs) 
and with that magic badge we thought we were going to hit, and we did. And it was a big dispute. And, and, and my rival, who was Karen Kelderman, who was like, she was Lucy to my Charlie Brown. Oh, she was mad. Oh, she was mad. And finally, the school even called my parents and said, he's not allowed to bring that badge in. It's causing conflict in our class. Um, think about what it was like. Paul worked as a, a tent maker, a leather worker. They would take the um, sweaty headbands, the, the aprons, and they would touch them on people, and people were healed. Do you believe that? I do, and I can't attribute that to psychology. Uh, we believe that. Scripture doesn't present it as a myth. It wasn't like my, my little magic badge said God was doing miraculous things by the hands of Paul. We understand. There's this lie out there that says Christians are against science because we believe things like this when the Bible says it. Science and Christianity go hand in hand. We love the God who created things. We love the God who reveals his creation. We love the God who lets some of you be so brilliant in your study and research and understanding things. And we say, absolutely, science and Christianity are best friends. The Bible even says evidence for God. Uh, we know it from his word, but we also look at nature around us. And the more we see, the more we see God in things, or should see. We love the way God works in the ordinary. God has a world. We pray when somebody goes into the doctor. We pray for wisdom for the doctors. We thank God for the technology that's there. I even forget what surgery it was, but it's coming to my mind where somebody said, I needed this kind of, oh, I heard somebody on the radio talking about this. She needed LASIK surgery, but because uh, 10 or 15 years ago, the technology wasn't there with her asthma problem and they didn't do it, and the doctor said, you just wait because science will catch up and you'll be able to get this. And you think about it. We love science. We love the ordinary ways that God takes care of people. We even talk about common grace and we say God causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And there is gifts uh, that God gives us as people uh, who he's equipped to understand things and develop science. God uses science, uses doctors to save lives. But just because God works in the ordinary to the point that we hardly even think about it, we must see that God transcends mere science. I will say it again. Christians and science uh, are bosom buddies. The problem is when you know, where, where, where we're not so much as when people use scientific theories as a club to affect a political result. And they start saying, trust the science. 
No, no, now Gordon's our Yankees fan, and Gordon knew exactly what I was talking about. If you're Yankees listeners, you'll, you'll know. They've got a guy, an announcer, John Sterling. He's got, I used to think it was the dumbest call in the world, but now I'm used to it, and it's his, it's his call. Uh, on the radio, if you listen to him, ball game over, Yankees win. The Yankees win. And he emphasizes that word, the. Uh, back when, in the days when I used to watch more NFL, they would have the, the football players come on and, and introduce themselves, you know, running backs, quarterbacks, and they would give their name, it was pre-recorded, and, and whatever school they went to. You know, I'm, you know, Bob Smith, University of Hawaii. Fred Jones, University of Wisconsin. But whenever one university came out, they would say, and I was always impressed with this as a little kid watching them, the Ohio State University. I always called it the Ohio State University. And I thought, ooh, why do they say that? Ooh, that's school pride. Wow, that's something. The Ohio State University. Nowadays, they probably don't even do that. They probably just have them give their pronouns or whatever it is they do, if they do anything like that. But back then, it was the now, people start talking about the science as if science is the one true God. And you must do what we say politically because we have the science. Problem is, uh, if you've watched over the last year and a half, the science has changed. Everybody, everybody says now, even uh, papers like the New York Times say those plastic dividers. Uh, are actually bad for you. Uh, they wouldn't have a, a, a debate unless they put dividers up. And now, now they're saying from, from politically left, politically right, politically center, those things catch germs or whatever it is. And now that thing that, 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 that they spent so much money on erecting all these things around all these people, now they're saying, well, that's not really true. The science. Be careful of the science. Christians love science. We love true science. When Dr. Fauci himself says, I lied when I said masks didn't work. Why did you lie? Well, because if I said you needed to have them, uh, then there would be a run on them, and then medical people couldn't have them. So I had to lie. It was a noble lie, but it was a lie. But at the time, it was the science. God transcends science. We see this from this passage. Don't worship science or someone's interpretation of science to the point where you don't worship God. God can heal people with what we call ordinary means, which are still miraculous, wonderful things. And God can transcend that. And God can be a miracle-working God because God created it all. Why did God equip people to do miracles. Why did Jesus come? Remember in the first book of, uh, or not in the first, but the first in the book of Mark, but it's all four Gospels. But Jesus came, and Mark, the way it sets it up, Jesus came in, and it's all about Jesus' authority. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. There was a physical thing. He cast out demons. There's spiritual. He taught in the temple, and they said he teaches with authority as one, not, not like the scribes taught us. And it's Jesus' authority, 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 authority. Miracle, 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 miracle. Transcending science. What was the point of that? Well, Jesus told the point of that 
He said, let's go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And God did equip people to do these extraordinary things, or we could say it better and more properly. He did extraordinary things through people, the early church. In this case, Paul's sweatbands and, and everything. Not because of the miracle itself, although there were benefits to that, but so that the gospel, the true healing that we need more than even our bodies need to be healed, so that that could be brought attention to. The disciples in the early church, here in Paul's ministry, there's a supernatural activity, but it's not to glorify the people who did the miracles, but so that the people might glorify God. Science is neutral. Science is like money or guns or drugs or food. It can be used for great good or for great evil. It's neutral. It can be used for little good or little evil. It can be negligible in its effect. And what I'm saying here, and then we'll move on to this third point, if you worship science to the point where you even call it the science, as if there's no higher God, then that's a sin. If you fear science or treat the people who wield science like a weapon to the point where you treat science as an all-consuming threat, as if there's no God in charge of it all, that is also a sin. Don't be afraid. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Fear not the one who kills the body, but the one who can condemn the soul to hell. That's who you fear. The one true God. Father, Son, Spirit, our Trinitarian God, that's who you fear. God is more powerful than mere science, even though God does work in and through science, but he transcends science. Third point from the text. God is more powerful than any power in the spirit world. And man, as a little kid, I love this story. I'm picturing myself in Caleb's shoes here in this story. And here comes these guys in there, and they see the demons being cast out, and they're going to capitalize on that. Everybody says in this text where it says the uh, Sceva, who was a high priest, and maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong, I just read it and read it as it sounds. Maybe it's Siva. I don't know. But I'm saying Sceva because that's how my mom read, read it to me when she read me the Bible stories. Anyway, these seven sons, he was the high priest. Well, they said if in that day when they were writing, they had quotes, they would have put that in quotes. He wasn't a high priest of anything, but he was assuming something. And he was a religious guy. And he had his seven sons, and they were going to take the magic words of Jesus and cast out this demon. And Oh, we used to love that story. We were thinking uh, John Wayne action flicks and all that. How does one guy bust down these seven guys and strip them and send them out there in humiliation. Oh, we laughed as, as little boys. You can say, I don't believe in a spirit world. And my response can be to you. Now it's your business. But think of Francis Bacon who said, people prefer to believe what they prefer to be true. Why don't you just say, i rather would that there not be a spirit world. Bible always presents it as real. There's this, but there's something outside and transcends it. Scripture talks about this. There are battles in heaven. There are angels and demons. A war that's hidden from human eyes. Think about Elisha 
and the city being surrounded. And Elisha with his, his uh, right-hand man there, and he says, God, open his eyes so he can see what's going on. And all of a sudden, that servant saw the chariots of fire. He saw God surrounding, and he saw he was totally safe, even though from an earthly perspective, they were in deadly danger. Look at a passage like this and realize, Christian, you're safe. God is good. God is strong. Jesus came and he cast out demons. We have incidents of this in Scripture. They'd say, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. My name is Legion, for we are many. The demon said, please don't send us away. Let us go into the pigs. Remember that story? And here we see people who tried to use Jesus' name to control the spirit world. The demon knew them, but they didn't know Jesus. The demon didn't know them. He knew what they were trying to do. The demon knew Paul because he knew Paul belonged to Jesus. And the demon used the body that he possessed in the physical world to do damage to these sons of Sceva in the physical world. You don't have to understand it all. I sure don't. But accept what the scripture says. One, you have nothing to fear, nothing on earth and nothing that is supernatural if you are in Christ. All those fears that I fight and had and thought and the things that brought me down the last two weeks that maybe, I hope not, but maybe bringing you down, nothing to fear. I'm in Christ. There's God. Second thing, there's so much that going on in this world that can't be explained except that it's pure wickedness that's being affected by forces that are not natural. How can a person, even a wicked person, strap on a bomb and walk into a crowd of people and kill 150 of them, including babies? How can you do that? Unless there's a a demonic, spiritual, satanic world from hell that's affecting people. My dad's uncle used to turn on the 5 o'clock news and say, let's see what the devil did today. And he was right as long as it didn't cause him to operate in fear of the devil. Paul wrote a letter back to these Ephesians in their spirituality. Here's what Paul said uh, to the Ephesians and to us because it's part of Scripture for us. Uh, this, this helps us with this understanding of, of the spiritual. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. He said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That's a message for us today. I'm going to boil it down to something Jesus said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's an easy one to memorize and probably a good one to memorize if you haven't yet. God is more powerful than any power in the spirit world. So he's more powerful than all those things. And finally, God is more powerful than anything that had power over you. 
before you became a Christian. Verses 18 and 19, as we come to a conclusion here. It says, also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. It doesn't say every single one of them had done this, but a number of them had. And they brought this stuff together. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. In the case of some of these people, what they were looking for is their God before they uh, encountered the true God and put their faith in, in the true God through Jesus. It was magic and it was spells. And they found some of these books. They've got, they've got some books from that era of, of spells. And it's like, you know, it's elemental stuff. It's almost laughable stuff. But at the time, they thought that these words, these spells, this magic would save them. And then when they submitted to God, they said, this does nothing for me. For all of us, there was something before we became Christians that we were holding on to for our security. That was our God, whatever it might have been. I'll read what I wrote. Uh, What were you holding on to before you came to Jesus? It might not have been magic in the same way that these people practiced, but it gave you the same false sense of security, didn't it? Was it money? Or not money, but financial stability? Was it a secure position in your job? You weren't flying too high that some cost-cutting advisor could snipe your job out of the sky, but you weren't on the bottom either, so they couldn't cut you that way. You were safe, and you were secure that way. Might have been your good health or your uh, winsome personality that you thought you had until you realized you weren't that winsome of a personality as you thought. Um, Might have been some relationship with someone who became your God instead of the real God. And we're not different than these people. And God is more powerful. And, and we don't burn all those things unless we should. They burned their magic books and they should have. That's praise there. But maybe you just put things in their proper perspective. Maybe that husband's not God anymore. Maybe he's just your, your husband, your helpmeet. Maybe she's not your God anymore. Maybe she's your wife now, and together you worship God. That's uh, putting things into perspective. God is more powerful than whatever it is that you thought was God. When they came to God, they burned their magic books. When you came to God, you did the equivalent. Not with physical fire, but the result was the same. And you thought like these people thought. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. And that was a good decision you made. Stick with it. God is more powerful than anything that had power over you before you became a Christian. Paul's deal wasn't idols. Paul's security was his knowledge of the scriptures. Paul lists in a couple of different places the things that he counted on. He counted on his personal righteousness. I was this, I was this, I was baptized on this day. I did all these things right, he said. And then, indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. 
Old King James says, I count them as dung. If we were writing a true dynamic equivalent, we would use some of the words those farm kids in Iowa used that those things were. So let's look. We see God as powerful. We can't understand. It's above our pay grade to see and explain everything. Our hearts want to be God's hearts and we want to weep. We don't want to just bury our head in the sand, but we don't want to be overcome uh, by evil as we attempt to overcome evil with good. What do we do with this world and with our relationship and with our knowledge of God and who God is? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian who's discouraged at what is happening in the world? Then look beyond the headlines. Look beyond inflation. Look beyond COVID-19 in all of its letters. There's a lot of Greek letters. What are we on? Delta now? Epsilon's next? There's a lot of little strains and variations that you're going to see coming through. Uh, Don't be discouraged by that. Look at God. Look beyond oppressive governments and killers and put a heavenly perspective on human suffering. Look at the highest power the God of the Bible, and find solace in him. Look at how he did the humanly unthinkable thing and the unimaginable thing to come and save you. Look at the cross and what it means. Look at the person and work of Jesus Christ and dive into that for your strength and your comfort. Look at how Jesus died in your place to give you new life. Has he abandoned you now? No. Is he ever going to abandon you? No. Including passage of scripture, one that that Paul wrote to the Romans uh, under the inspiration of Christ. This is from Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? No, in these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has you. He's surrounding you. You're in his hand. He's got your back. He's got the future. God is the one we look to. And when you're just feeling bleak, be honest with him. God, I'm feeling bleak. I'm feeling hopeless. Minister to me. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's our God. And he's powerful. He is the all-powerful. He's the one. And he's love for his people. Let's pray and go to the table. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for just in these little incidences in Acts 19, how you reminded us again that you are all-powerful. And all these realms that uh, would rise up and, and try to take your throne and people that would use them to try to, to, to take your place, Lord, we thank you that that didn't happen. We thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ. And we thank you that our security is in what Jesus did for us not even in how we feel. Thank you for being the one who loves us, forgives our sins, who saved us, 
and, and continues to forgive our continual sins. We thank you that you are our God and our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.